Today's gospel is not for the faint of heart. And no matter how strong we might think our faith is, the language of Jesus' warnings about the end of time is more than a little unnerving. Despite the fact, he says, do not be terrified, right? (laughs) It does very little to calm a person's fear and trembling in the face of future judgment. I think it could be said that the tone of this gospel was often perhaps overused, even though there are echoes of it in the words of the prophet Malachi. They still inspired or instilled a spirituality of fear and its companion guilt in the minds and the hearts of all faithful people through the preaching and the catechesis of years past. Many of us grew up with that sense of dread, that sense of guilt, and often it was gospel texts like this taken out of context that were used as a way to frighten us to death, almost literally. I remember as an altar server, I suppose I was nine, eight or nine years of age, in our home parish, and the pastor at that time had the custom of having a mission once a year. Perhaps some of you knew that or know of that. It lasted for about a week. And I remember the first night on this particular mission, the visiting uh, preacher arrived and had sent instructions ahead of time that a large platform be built in the sanctuary, and it was to extend from the top step of the platform going up to the altar, which was four or five steps high, and it was to stretch out and rest on the communion rail that was still there. And so created this large platform on which he was to stand and to preach. And he had this huge black case, and he opened it, he unpacked several sections of a very large cross with a very graphically painted corpus of the crucified Christ on this cross. It was massive, at least to a nine-year-old, it was pretty massive. Um, It was taller than him, and he was a tall guy, I recall. Um, And so he placed this beside him, and he proceeded then in his preaching to pace and to yell at us and to keep pointing at this crucifix and pointing at the crucified image of Christ and saying, look what you did. Look what all of us did. And I, I felt he looked at me at that point. And look at, look at that. And I thought, well, you know, I teased my sisters and I annoyed my brother, but I never thought Jesus took it so personally. And, and he went on to instill a tremendous trembling in the entire congregation. And we were nice people, we thought. Uh, but, but that kind of preaching and that kind of catechesis um, maybe over, overdid what was happening or what is being spoken of in today's gospel. This language of the scriptures 
in the gospel which we refer to as eschatology. In other words, it means interpreting the signs that Jesus speaks about in light of the future. It's imprecise language, even though it's very graphic. We'd all like to know the future, whether it is the weather, or whether it's about our health, or whether, whether it's about the possibility of, of prosperity, and certainly about our final encounter with God. And nothing draws a crowd like someone who pretends to know the future and points to signs and events around us as for sure these things are going to happen because look what's happening now. In that situation, we can lose sight of the language of Jesus and the language of the prophets. And we begin to replace it then with sort of statistics and analytics, which are kind of a popular thing today. These analytics, we are told, um, well, they used it in, in sports, if any of you watch baseball. And every time a batter comes up to bat, they flash this screen that shows that he hits it down the first baseline 27% of the time, down the middle 32% of the time, a bit to the left of center 21% of the time, and the rest of the time he hits it down the third baseline, if he hits it at all. <laughs> and so you're left to wonder, like, what does this tell anybody about the future? And we know it doesn't translate into the future of our spiritual self, the future of our encounter with God. So Jesus offers us another way to see the world around us, whether it's the world beyond us or the world within us. He doesn't ignore the possibility that there will be suffering and there will be grief. These things will happen, Jesus says. And we know this to be true from our own experience. We don't live outside of those kinds of challenges. But what Jesus calls us to, it seems to me, is not a kind of resignation in the face of all of this, but a kind of perseverance, he says. That entering into and embracing life in the present is part of embracing life in the future. They are not disconnected. And we say that, you know, we believe that pain and sinfulness and, and hardship are not God's punishment delivered ahead of time, but sometimes that can invade our spiritual imagination. And so the call of the gospel is a hard call. It, it's, it's not easy. But Jesus would have us see those moments that test our spiritual strength as opportunities for growth, as opportunities for grace. Perseverance, Jesus says, an attitude 
that allows us to own our struggle, not to be overcome by it or not to give in to it, not to let it be the last word, to own it in such a way that it becomes an opening to see such a moment as a sign of God's love, not of God's abandonment. Not a hair on your head will be destroyed, Jesus says, which is his way of saying that there's nothing that the world throws at us that can get in the way of the love of God. Still, sometimes hope is elusive. Sometimes it's hard to find the courage to accept the brokenness. I am reminded and when I, was, when I was putting this together, I'm not sure how this came into my mind, but sometimes my mind has a mind of its own. So, well, I'm reminded of the words of Princess Leah in, <laughs> of all people, <laughs> who said in The Return of the Jedi, one of the Star Wars movies, and she said, if you believe in the sun, only when you can see it, where do you find hope? Where do you find hope? And so the cosmic signs that Jesus relates in today's gospel are not to overpower us, to discourage us, but are in their own way to give us a sign of hope because they remind us that the God of the cosmos is the God who, even though is that large in God's image, we are more important still. And so as the scriptures present a picture of the end time, that day of the Lord, it's a day of transformation. It's a day that makes up the world of this time, both in its evil and in its beauty, a world of another time, a world of God's time and God's way as believers in that remarkable promise of God. We are given this present time to transform each day into a day of the Lord. With every poem we write, with every song that we sing, with every wound that we heal, and with every grace that we offer.